Hey, everybody. If you want to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to pick it up where we left off and uh, kind of started this study of, this, of the, what Jesus had to say to the seven churches. Uh, and, uh, but before we do that, I want to just uh, say that it's somewhat of an anniversary for me today. Um, actually, this, this sort of this week really is kind of an anniversary for me. Uh, two days ago, three years ago, I had a heart attack. Two days from now, I had open heart surgery. So three years I've made it. Obviously, I think God still has some plans. I'm still here. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, getting older, but you know what? We're all getting older. That's just the way it is. But I'm glad to, I'm glad to, to be here to be part of what's, what's happening in our day, in our church, in our, and you know, to fulfill the plans that God has for us as a church. So last week, we looked at uh, the first church and really, uh, uh, I, t- I titled the message First Things First because there's this word first that, that keeps jumping out and keeps uh, coming to our attention and and really, Jesus is first, and that's really what it's, what it's all about. And he, uh, Jesus, he wrote to the church there in Ephesus, and he, he starts with all the positive things. They were doing a lot of great stuff. They were working really hard. They were persevering, and, and these are all really good things, things that, we're, that we should be doing. And they were enduring hardship. They weren't getting weary of all the hardship. And they also had this discernment about false teaching, and they had this love for the truth, the truth and the doctrine of, you know, what God has given, the truth of the Bible for us. It's the truth of what we have here in the Bible, the Word of God before us. And yet, Jesus said he had one thing to say, one thing that he had to address with them, and found there, and and, uh, he said, you have left your first love, found there in verse 4. You've left your first love. And, and, and really, this idea of first is really important. Uh, it means foremost. It means foremost in time and place and order of importance, first in influence and first in honor. <clears throat> so he's saying that you've left your first love. What should be foremost, what, sh- what should be the very highest place, he says you've left that behind. And what was it? He says it was love, your first love. So we kind of think about that. You know, what is is first in our lives? What is the most important thing in our lives? He says that we've left our first love. We've left it behind. He goes on to say in that verse, remember the height from which you have fallen. That is like the pinnacle to have the love. And found in three different areas, really, God's love for us, his love for us, our love for him, and our love for one another. That's really what, you know, he's talking about here. So he says, what do we do? What should we do about that if if we find ourselves in a place where the love isn't number one anymore? God's love, our love for him, our love for one one another. What does he say that we should do? He says that we should repent. And do the things that we did at first. 
Go back to the beginning. What did you do? What, did, you know, what was it like? And, and what are the, some, some of the things that you did? Actions, activities. And God will take care of the feelings. Well, I don't feel it like I used to. Yeah, but are you, doing the, are you still doing the, the, you know, the things that you used to do? Now, moving to the second letter, which is our, our, our letter or our church for today, is the, the church in Smyrna. And uh, I've got a map for you. I, I don't know if you can see that on your screens at home, but uh, the, the ch- seven churches were found here in this section, and they really were uh, part of uh, what is now, this, this area here is now Turkey. And then we have Greece up here, of course, and Italy over here, and then we have Egypt and Israel down here, and, and so but he, he focused on these seven churches and he kind of took a, a route, you know, number one, number two, number three, in, a, in kind of a circle here. And he spoke to those churches and he had very clear messages for each one of them. Each one was different. And, and certainly every church in the world is different. We all have different issues. We have different, you know, things that the Lord wants to do with us and in us and through us. So the second one is here to the place called Smyrna. Now, I would pronounce that Smyrna, but uh, in Florida, there's a a place where uh, my wife and I uh, love to go to. It's called New Smyrna, but they pronounce it New Smyrna. It's a place called New Smyrna Beach, and we love to go there. And it's also known as the shark bite capital of the world, just so you know. And so we don't actually go in the ocean down when we go down there. The water's a little bit cold at at the time that we go, we go off season and the time, you know, the water's a little bit cold anyways. So, but, but we love to walk on the beach. It's just a time for the two of us to, to get away. And we love to watch the sunrise. So we'll go out and get on the beach before the sunrise. And that time of the year, it's not that early. We spend time walking for miles and miles on the beach. And we spend time, you know, uh, working on music, uh, songwriting. That's New Smyrna Beach, but, but Jesus was talking to Smyrna, this actual church, this actual place there. It was called by folks Smyrna the Beautiful. It was a very beautiful city. It was, uh, it was closely aligned with Rome. They, they had a real allegiance to Rome, and, and it says that they were very eager to, to meet the demands that Rome had for emperor worship. You see, Rome was calling all people to worship the emperor, the Caesar. As a matter of fact, they would would ask, not ask, they would demand for people to say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord is is what they would require. Smyrna at that time, though, was a suffering church because one of the things about Smyrna is they, they, they suffered persecution, but they had this faith in Jesus Christ that, that, that held them. But they had to go through all kinds of suffering. And as a matter of fact, the, the word Smyrna comes from, from the word where we get our word myrrh, which was a fragrance was, you know, that, that would have to, a plant that would have to be crushed to bring out the fragrance. And the, the word myrrh also means bitter. So 
The, the things that they were going through, the, the poverty, the afflictions, the, the suffering, the persecution, even death that they were going through. Jesus had words for them. And I think it's true for, for us, no matter what you and I are going through, Jesus wants to speak into our lives. I believe it. I know it personally. I know it, you know, day by day when I'm going through something difficult that Jesus is, is, is willing, he's waiting to speak to me through his word, by his spirit, if I'm willing to listen. That's why in each one of these letters it says, you know, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear, let him listen. Are we listening to what Jesus would say to us in our personal lives and our personal situations? What does he say there? Let's pick it up in verse 8. He says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. These are the words of him. Who? Who's he? Who's he? It makes it very clear. Who is he talking about here as John writes these words for us? It's, these are the words of Jesus because Jesus said in chapter 1 that he is the first and the last. He is the foremost. He's the beginning. He's the first, the protos, and the last. And that word last is actually uh, the Greek word eschatos, which is where we get our word eschatology. We study the, the last things, the final things, the end times. Jesus is the beginning, he is the end, and, and he says it at the end of the book of Revelation, he is the Alpha and the Omega, he is the first and the last, he says it again, he is the beginning and the end, he, it's all found in him. That's why John's writing this revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to know where the answer is? In one word, it's found in Jesus for you and I in our lives. Where do you have to go? You know, I have to need to go here, go there, try to get this, try to get that. Yeah, we have to do different things in this life, but the first thing, number one, Jesus Christ, the one who died, but came to life again. He said it in, in chapter one, he says, I am the living one. I was dead, but, but behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Paul said about Jesus that he destroyed death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now you say, well, what, you know, what's that all about? Well, why is he writing these words and, and how do those words apply to them? These people were facing death. They faced the threat of death. Some of them on a daily basis. And yet Jesus said that he had conquered death that he had risen from the dead. He, he came to life again. He destroyed death and the power of death. And he brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So, so the words that he had to speak for them was very true. Now you and I, we, we face death in this life. We're, we're fearful of a lot of different things, but we're, we are going to all face death at one point in time. But Jesus is the one who has overcome death and he is the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so this, this concept of death and life are found throughout these words, but also found throughout the whole of the book of Revelation. Verse 9, what does he say? He says this, he says, I know. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, 
yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. See, he says it twice in this verse. He says, I know. Sometimes we think, and and David wrote a lot about this, where he went through these times where he didn't think God was listening, that God didn't know, God wasn't aware. God had turned his face away from him. But the truth is actually the opposite, that he does not turn his face away from us. That he knows what you and I are going through. These people in the church in Smyrna, he knew. He says, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. I know the difficult situations that you are in. The afflictions that you face. The poverty, the, you know, the lack of, of, of even the necessities of life. He says, I know. You know, we sometimes think Jesus really can't you know, relate. He can't comprehend what it's like for us down here on earth, but we forget that he was here on earth, that he did go through this life, that he faced the things, and he he wasn't wealthy, and certainly he, he faced affliction. He said he didn't even have a place to lay his head. The writer of the Hebrews says this, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus knows. He's been here. He knows what we're going through. He knows what you're going through. He knows, you know, the fact that maybe you don't have enough to to survive on. Maybe the situation we're in right now in our day and age is making things very difficult, this poverty. We... For so long in America, we've been the, you know, the wealthiest nation on earth and we've had everything we need. But maybe we're facing hard times now. But what does he say? He says, yeah, he says, I know what you're going through. I know your poverty. I know these things. But he says, yet you are rich. We tend to think about wealth in, in monetary things, in and how much money we have in the bank and what we have parked out in the driveway and, and where we live and, and, and you know, what's in the stock market that, that has our name on it. We tend to think about wealth and those things, but Jesus looks at things very differently. He says, you are rich. It's not about how much you have materially. He says, you are wealth. You are wealthy. I want you to know that today. No matter what you and I have, we are wealthy. We are rich. The true wealth that you and I have. He talked in 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about this. He says that the grace, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though, that though he was rich, yet your For your sakes, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. In other words, he had all the riches in heaven before he came, but he he humbled himself. He left all that and he came down to earth. Now, apart from what, what he has given to us, we're all poor. We think we're rich. Warren Wearsby points out that in the church of Laodicea, which we will get to, they thought they were poor, Excuse me, they thought they were rich, but they were really poor. 
We can think we have all this stuff and we're really rich, but, but we can really be poor spiritually. Jesus, he came down that through his poverty, you and I might become rich. It's found in him and what he has done for us. We can walk around, you know, with our hearts full, knowing that we are rich. We have the riches of, of the kingdom of God. I think the, the health and wealth prosperity gospel has really kind of got it all twisted around. We are wealthy in our faith in Jesus Christ and the things that he has given to us. He goes on to say, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews that are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. Perhaps you are facing slander that, you know, people saying these things about you. He says, I know the slander. I know, you know, what's going on around you. I know the, the things that you're facing. I know about all that. In this particular case, they were, they were facing you know, persecution from uh, many Jews, people who called themselves Jews, but they were not truly Jews. Oh, they might have been, you know, uh, they could trace their lineage in, in, in the Jewish, you know, nation. But the word Jew ultimately, ultimately means praise. He says they were outwardly Jews, but not inwardly. We see it in our day and age today, too, where people who proclaim to be one thing but, but really, really are not. Uh, you know, people who would profess to be a Christian, yet they, 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 they do all kinds of other things. You know, we, we have public officials who proclaim, profess to be Christians, yet they support abortion and other, uh, you know, all sorts of immoral practices. Satan, he says they're synagogue of Satan. Pretty strong language, isn't it? But he brings this up that there is a, a spiritual battle that's taking place. Verse 10, what does he begin to say as far as giving us some kind of instruction? He says that, he says this, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. The first thing he says is, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Suffering is a part of this life. Sometimes we're afraid of what might come. I might, you know, something bad might happen, and we live in this state of fear. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And in fact, Smyrna, as I've said, is the suffering church. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. You see, there's no promise of escape. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about, you know, don't be afraid because I'm going to keep keep you from any suffering, from all suffering. Paul says, no. It's been granted. It's, it's a promise that, that, that you and I will face suffering in this world. 
Peter talks about it a lot in, in his epistles, and he says that Jesus suffered for us, but he left us an example that we should follow in his steps and not be afraid of suffering. Jesus suffered for us, and sometimes we are going to face suffering, but, but don't be afraid of it. Why could he say that, Jesus? Because he said he would be with us in the suffering. We sang about it today. Peter talks later in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says that, that the enemy, the devil, who Jesus has mentioned here in Revelation 2, he said he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There's a spiritual battle taking place. But Peter finishes that thought and he says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Suffering is only temporary. It may seem like a long time. He says it's going to be for a little while. But God himself, he will restore you. God himself will make you strong. God himself will, will make you firm and steadfast in the faith. He will do that for you and for me. We are facing spiritual battles. The devil is alive and well on, on planet Earth at this point in time. That's why we need to know what the full armor of God is found in Ephesians chapter 6 and, and put on that armor and fight the fight. We can't fight without the armor. We can't fight without what God has given us to fight. They were facing persecution Jesus promised persecution. He says in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, he said, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus promised it. Paul promised it as well. Some great promises. I'm giving you a lot of great promises here today. Promises of suffering, promises of persecution. Paul promised that he said, he said this in 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to truly follow Jesus Christ, you will suffer persecution. Doesn't sound like the Christianity that we think about, is it? The, you know, if I come to Jesus, I'm going to be blessed. And we will be. But it turns more into a God bless me club. And, and we think again of this prosperity and this wealth and, and deliverance from all problems. Someone wrote these words. They said, the greatest criticism of the church today is that no one wants to persecute it because there's nothing very much to persecute it about. Meaning, you know, it, our, our Christian faith has become so watered down, we're not really wanting to live a godly life, so there's no reason for persecution. We blend in with everybody else. That's not the Christianity that the Bible uh, has laid out for you and I. 
Now, I know that in America, we don't face persecution like many countries around the world face. Many countries around the the world are, are facing very serious persecution. But I do see it beginning in our country. I see it happening. People, you know, who are standing up for what they believe and not willing to do this or not willing to do that, and they're being persecuted and, and, and called out and brought before the courts. It's happening. And it's getting worse. What does he say? He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And then he says to be faithful. Be faithful, he says, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful. That word faithful kind of has two meanings. One is to be full of faith, like like the word says, to be full of faith in God. Be faithful. Keep faith in God. Hold on to your faith in Jesus Christ. Hold on during these difficult, very difficult, hard times of persecution and affliction and trial, slander and trouble. It also has that meaning that you and I maybe would think someone is faithful, they're reliable, they'll show up, they're going to be there. You and I need to be faithful with the the things that he's called us to do. Be faithful in the word. Be faithful in in our devotional life. Be faithful spending time with Jesus in his word and prayer, just, just being with him. Be faithful to be part of a fellowship. I think of that motto of the Marines where it says Semper Semper Fi, which means always faithful, to be faithful. God's calling us to be faithful. He's not calling us to be successful or to be wealthy or to be all these other things, though we might be those things, and and he might bring those things at times into our lives, but he's calling us to be faithful. And at the end, Jesus talked about, you know, uh, what he would say, well done, good and successful servant. No, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You and I are called to be faithful. There was a man by the name of Polycarp, and he was the bishop or the leader of the church in Smyrna. And John the apostle actually knew him. Uh, he was probably young when, when, uh, when John knew him. But this man, uh, Polycarp, uh, it says that he was martyred. He was the leader of the church in Smyrna many, many years after uh, Jesus is writing these words uh, through John the Apostle to the church at Smyrna. Many, many years later, the persecution had continued. But he was, he was martyred because he wouldn't deny his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He would not say Caesar is Lord. Will there come a time in our society, in our situation, in our lives when, when we're called to, to, you know, to give allegiance to some ruler above us instead of the one who is the true ruler, the true leader, the true Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords, the King of kings? He says, be faithful. Hold on to your faith and be faithful, even to the point of death. And he says, I will give you the crown of life. For the believer, that's what he has for us, a crown of life, not the crown of death. 
the last verse in verse 11, that phrase that I mentioned earlier, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. What is he talking about there? First of all, we have to know how do we overcome? We overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony. We overcome through Jesus Christ who says that he has overcome. He says, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all in any way, shape, or form by the second death. The second death is eternal death. The second death is the lake of fire. He talks about it in the the last chapters of the book of Revelation. And and if you would like to turn with me there, we will finish there in the chapters 20 and and 21. So, So you know what he's talking about when Jesus talks about the second death. He says you won't be touched at all by the second death. You won't be hurt at all in the second death. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, He said, blessed and holy are those who who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. No power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Then later, in verse 14, it says this, Then death and Hades, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is very, very serious stuff. This is part of the Bible, though. Jesus talked a lot about what we call hell. And here it is, the second death. This is what hell is all about, the second death, the lake of fire, eternal death, eternal separation from God forever and ever and ever. He talks about it again in in chapter 21, and those who are are in in verse 8, chapter 21, verse 8, he says, but the cowardly, let's start in verse 7, He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic art, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fire lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. All those who have not overcome through Jesus Christ. All those we we saw in chapter 20 whose names are not found written in the book of life. How do you know if your name is in the book of life? You know because you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You are one of his. You are his son or his daughter. You have overcome through the blood of Christ. And you have, your name is written in the book of life. You, you, you have no need to fear eternal death. No near to need to fear death or, death or hell or the lake of fire, but all those who have not 
is definitely something to be afraid of. Something to worry about, something to be concerned about. So the question is, is your name in the book of life? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? You see, Jesus said that, didn't he? He said that, that you must be born again. If you were to see the kingdom of heaven, if you were to enter the kingdom of heaven, John chapter 3, that you must be born again. There's no other way. It's not by doing good things. You must be born again and have a spiritual birth. You must be born twice. Are you born again? Have you taken the name of Jesus for your own? Have you surrendered your life to him? Maybe this is a time for all of us to to consider, have, have I truly been born again? Have I truly surrendered my life to him? There's a saying, and I was talking to our good friend Kelly the other day, and we, 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 we thought of this uh, saying, Kelly brought it up, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. What does it mean? If you've only been born once, the, the physical birth, you will face the second death. But if you've been born again the second time, born twice, you're only going to die once. No second death for you. No second death for me. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray and we're going to just talk to the Lord about the trials that we might be facing in this life. But, but I also want to pray and give an opportunity for any who have not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. I gave my life to Jesus Christ back on September 1st, 1976. My life has been changed, radically changed. Do I still, you know, face trials and suffering and, 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 and all kinds of troubles? Of course I do. That's part of what life is, is all about. But I know where I'm going. And I don't have to fear hell. I don't fear the second death. I don't fear these things. Because Jesus has purchased my salvation. Let's pray together, shall we? Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your word today, your word to the suffering church there in Smyrna. You knew what they were going through. You knew the troubles, the trials, the slander, the persecution. You knew all about it. You're not unaware of what's going on in our lives as well. Maybe this quarantine life, maybe the, the, the trials and troubles and the, the sadness, the loneliness, the, the desperation. You know those that are even contemplating suicide during this time, they just can't take it anymore. And, and, and as I heard, even on the way into church this morning, that the suicide hotlines have, have had a 300% increase in people calling in. You know what we're going through, you care. And you tell us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, but 
but hold on to your faith. Have trust and have faith in Jesus Christ. Have faith in Him. That's what you want for every one of us. I know that. I believe that. So Lord, we come. And Lord, today maybe there's someone who's never been born again by your Spirit. Maybe they, 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 they need today to simply open their hearts and lives and, and, and let you in and give you a chance. they might be born again by the Spirit of God to live forever. If that's you today, you can pray with me right now. Simply open your heart, your mind and say, Dear Jesus, I, I receive you. I believe in you. That you died on the cross for my sin that you rose from the dead. I confess you as Lord. In Jesus' name.